Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I am Carson Cunningham, joined by Colby Powell. Colby, we had a little technic- technical difficulties today. We wanted to go live on YouTube at noon on Sunday. I appreciate all the folks that were uh, waiting patiently on us to get our uh, technical problems figured out. We did not. You know, just a little inside baseball for our listeners. We, we do this via Zoom. I usually just start a Zoom and send Colby the link. He hops on, we record it, and it's done. And I, I linked our Zoom meeting. I tried to schedule it ahead of time so there'd be a link for you guys so you could wait like you were, and we appreciate it. Next time, I'm just going to hit live and uh, send out the link. That way, it's maybe a little more streamlined, and, and Colby will get his camera issues figured out. But Colby, we're, we're here. We're ready to do the pod, but uh, stinks we couldn't get things working the way we wanted to. But hey, it's, it's our first try at it, right? We knew there was going to be some hiccups. Right. Yeah. Absolutely love our listeners. There were uh, a bunch of y'all waiting to see us go live and recap Oklahoma State Baylor. Unfortunately, we weren't able to. I've got two computers in front of me. Uh, one of them I couldn't get into the meeting. The other one I couldn't get video. So it was just a perfect storm for us not to be able to go on. But uh, again, we love our listeners. Appreciate y'all's continued support. Uh, and we will get it figured out so that hopefully we can start coming to you live on YouTube because Carson, it is an exciting, exciting time to be an Oklahoma State football fan. Boy, is it. I mean, obviously, it's just an incredible win, an incredible football game, which we're going to talk all about Oklahoma State's massive road win against Baylor. They win 36-25 in what was a kind of a back-and-forth, you know, slugfest, a heavyweight bout from what I think they're the two best teams, clearly, in the Big 12. But the Big 12's proven to be rather weird this year. You got Oklahoma at the bottom of the standings, Kansas at the top. But before we get to Oklahoma State and the college football world at large. Let's hear from Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. We appreciate them sponsoring the pod. And, boy, I think Chris is going to be packed this year. There should be tons of fans going to Stillwater to see these guys play because Oklahoma State's proven to be one of the best teams in the country, and they've been that now for going on two years. And, um, Colby, I'm not sure where to start other than I just think it was what I expected in that it's just two elite football teams on both sides of the ball. Oklahoma State and Baylor were the two best teams in the Big 12 last year. It appears that's the case again. And I just thought it was a really (laughs) incredible display of college football in all facets. You talk about Oklahoma State's special teams, their defense, their offense. Baylor the same. They they still forced Spencer into some turnovers. And and, uh, I just thought, Colby, it, it it lived up to the billing. And I thought Oklahoma State was the better team throughout. It got close, but I thought Oklahoma State really had opportunities to blow the thing wide open and, and credit to them to go away and, and win, end up winning by double digits. Yeah, absolutely. Oklahoma State was the better team pretty much the entire day. I, I thought that Oklahoma State uh, was not necessarily heads and tails better than Baylor, but they were the better football team. And there was a key play, Carson, early in the game, and it might get lost in the shuffle. But Oklahoma State – 
you know, they played from ahead the entire game. This wasn't necessarily a battle where it was lead changes and things of that nature. And the reason that Oklahoma State had the luxury of playing from ahead the entire day is because Mason Cobb made an unbelievable individual play early in the game on fourth down. Baylor's down inside the Oklahoma State 10-yard line. And from the initial camera angle, when when the, the ball's taken on the handoff, I mean, it looks like he's got the corner and he's going to score. Mason Cobb's engaged in a block with an offensive lineman, sheds his block, lassos him in the backfield, takes him down. That allowed Oklahoma State to stay up 9-3. to three. They go down to score to make it 16-3 to three and later in the, in the half. And then Oklahoma State is able to play from in front all day instead of lead changes, instead of battles, instead of intense pressure on the offense to score so that uh, they don't fall even further behind. That play from Mason Cobb, Carson, I'm telling you, if, Mal- if Malcolm Rodriguez was watching this game, he must have had a tear in his eye watching his understudy go out there and make that play on fourth down. I thought that it was, uh, along with Spencer diving on the fumble late, I-, I thought it was maybe the play of the game. I completely agree because it's one of those plays that Baylor ran several times throughout the game where they run the, the slow-developing toss sweep. And when those pulling linemen get out in front of the running back, it just feels inevitable. It just, like... You just look at that and go, okay, that's touchdown. I mean, there's there's no way they're going to be able to stop him. And somehow Mason Cobb just shoots his way through the gap and makes an incredible individual effort on that solo tackle. You're right. It looked a lot to me like Malcolm Rodriguez last year. And that was a huge, huge momentum swing. I think you're right. I think that play really kind of like stemmed the tide from Oklahoma State's perspective because Baylor had some momentum. Looked like they were going to walk in for a touchdown. And I think Mason Cobb really is – proving that they're going to be okay at linebacker. I mean, the guy made so many plays against Baylor throughout the day, and he just he just looks the part. He, he looks like – he kind of looks like Malcolm Rodriguez just in his overall build in, in a lot of ways, but he was sensational. I thought the defense really – I thought it was a flawless first-half performance, pretty much flawless. It, it wasn't absolutely perfect, but it was close to it. I mean, I thought Oklahoma State really controlled the first half, and I think a lot of it had to do – Colby with just the individual brilliance of Spencer Sanders. I mean, there were so many times in that first half where the pockets collapsing around him and he somehow squirts out of there and runs either for a first down or gets it into, you know, short yard situation where they can pick up the first down on the next play. I thought Casey Dunn's game plan was much, was much what I wanted to see to start the game. I was a little concerned coming into this game, Colby, they were going to come out kind of how they have, in the past, kind of slow, kind of, okay, let's just kind of establish the run. Let's not do anything crazy. They came out throwing the football, 10 personnel. Casey Dunn talked about that in the post game. He wanted to go fast and run 10 personnel. And I, I just think you saw situations throughout the game in, in tough short yardage situations when Oklahoma State had to get big that it doesn't really suit them against Baylor. That's a tough matchup for Oklahoma State. And Mike Gundy admitted as such after the game. But I thought, Colby, the way they started the game offensively, just in their schemes, and the individual brilliance of Spencer is why they were able to build that that halftime lead. Yeah, I mean, he was really good in the first half, Carson. You mentioned his ability to scramble and get out of the pocket. I mean, there was one time, maybe it was second and 15, third and 15, the pocket just totally collapsed around him. It looks like he's going down for a six-yard loss. He just pops out of there, boom, zigzag. He's out on the edge, picks up 17 on the play for a first down. He just he does things with his legs that, that make it – 
really hard to defend him in Oklahoma State offensively. I can't remember if it was with you uh, or I did a hit uh, Friday afternoon on the franchise talking about Spencer Sanders. And, and I said, I, I'm like, he has to run for 75 yards. He absolutely has to uh, for Oklahoma State. And he ran it for exactly 75 yards, 14 for 75. That's a perfect line for Spencer on the ground. Uh, and then in that first half, especially, he was really good through the air. That touchdown catch that Bryson Green made in the back left corner of the end zone to open the game, that was huge. You know, Baylor has to settle for three, and then you get seven. It was a perfect throw from Spencer over the top where his big guy could go up and high point the football and bring it down. There was an initial juggle, but clearly uh, got, got possession and got a foot down. So it was a great job by Bryson Green in the corner of the end zone and by Spencer Sanders putting it on him. It was uh, The first half was pretty textbook, Carson, and 16-3. And to three, I mean, the safety was a key play. You know, Gundy punts uh, from the Baylor 39-yard line, which obviously I didn't like. I, I never like punting inside your opponent's 40, especially if it's fourth and less than five. It's it's kind of what he does sometimes, depending on game flow. They, they at least executed, right? If you're going to do it, you have to execute. They pin him down at the one-yard line. And then Carson, what in the absolute hell is Baylor doing running a toss seven yards deep in their own end zone? It was the easiest safety I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, I, I don't know. And it looked so easy, but I, it wasn't easy, though, from Oklahoma State's perspective. It took Brock Martin just shucking a dude all the way to Sunday out of the way and allowing Kendall Daniels to, to run free straight at the ball carrier. But no, it was a terrible call. And I think what you mentioned about Mike Gundy choosing to punt there, I think fourth down is kind of the biggest storyline of this game. You think about Mike Gundy on the very first series going for it on fourth down, putting confidence in Spencer to get the, get the one yard. He does that, leads to that Bryson Green touchdown. I thought that was great for Mike, setting the tone. We're not afraid of these guys on fourth and one. We're not. We're going for it. And I love that he didn't settle for a field goal. It would have been so easy to just tie the game, kick back off to, Oklahoma, or to Baylor, and just reset. But Mike went for it there. But the decision to punt, and knowing you have Tom Hutton with his ability to pin you deep, uh, Braylon Presley downing it on the, the one. That's not exactly the usage I was expecting out of um, Braylon, but hey, he made a good play to down that punt. And to get the safety there was really what catapulted them in the first half. I mean, that that flips the field. They have to punt on, a, on, the, you know, on this ensuing after the safety. It gets you in short yardage situation on the next series. And just, Colby, you and I, we, we talk so much about fourth down decisions with Mike Gundy. He drives us crazy. Uh, in certain situations, we we just scream at each other that he should be going for it more. He does it on the first series. And Mike, I, I would have loved to have had Mike Gundy mic'd up. Maybe the OSU Max will broadcast this. But I would love to hear his in-game reactions to Dave Aranda going for it on fourth down, regardless of time of the game, situation, yardage, position on the field, I mean, I love going for it on fourth down, Colby, but Dave Aranda was reckless. And Mike Gundy sees this and is more than happy to punt, more than happy to kick field goals and just extend the lead as much as, much as he can because that last the last one, I thought Mike just looked at it and said, hey, Baylor's running out of time. We're just going to keep kicking field goals. And I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on Dave Aranda trusting the analytics no matter what the heck the situation is on fourth down. 
Yeah, I actually thought Mike Gundy really outcoached Dave Aranda yesterday, uh, and I have a, a very high opinion of Dave Aranda, and I love going for it on fourth down. But to me, a, a couple of them there in the second half from Dave Aranda, it, it looked to me, Carson, like a desperate coach who knew that his team was not as good as the opponent. So what does he try to do in that, in that point? Steal possessions. He, he's like, look, we can't give it back to him because I don't trust my defense to stop him. We've got to go out. We've got to do something right here. I, I think Dave Aranda knew that if they were going to win that game, something was going to have to go really right for them. And he was going to have to take big risks and he was willing to take those big risks and live with the result. Carson, I don't think he thought he had the better team. I think he, he thought Dave Aranda that he was going to have to do something crazy and wild if they were going to beat Oklahoma state. And you know, I mean, he did something crazy and wild and it kind of worked, right? What was it? The fourth and five where they ripped off a 70 yard touchdown. I mean, it worked. That was a huge swing play in the game. And it still wasn't enough. Uh, he just he knew he didn't have the better team, Carson, and he was trying to uh, take some risks to negate that a little bit. It worked sometimes. It didn't sometimes. Probably ended up evening out in the end. Uh, but I, to me, that seemed to be the underlying reason behind the decisions that Dave Aranda was making. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I buy that because he did the same thing in last year's regular season meeting. Remember, he was going forward on fourth down on his own half of the field in that game. Yeah. In a, in a, in a close game. And I, I just think he's kind of made the decision that he's just not going to punt, which again, I, I think Mike had to be looking cross-eyed over at the other sideline. Like, what is this guy doing? Like Mike, Mike even referenced analytics. The reason he decided to punt. And when they pinned him down deep on the, um, on the punt there on the one yard line, he said the, the statistics and the analytics say that very rarely is a team going to go 90 plus yards and score on you, which, in the, on the same hand, I don't know why Mike doesn't trust that data and those stats when it's fourth and one on the one and he kicks a field goal, which, hey, it, it worked out. He sees Aranda is just going to keep going for it. He's just going to keep putting points on the board. I, I understood it given the situation, but those two don't add up to me. If you don't get the touchdown, they're on their own one yard line. You got another chance at another safety. I, I, I didn't like settling there. Obviously, the second down kind of put them in a rut on, on that last you know goal line stand there, but I thought Aranda just made the decision before the game that he's going to keep going for it, regardless of the situation, which I, I thought was completely reckless. And I'm, I agree with you. I thought Mike Gundy really outcoached him because on that last field goal, again, I'm sitting there going, okay, I, I kind of understand this from Mike. Would I like for him to go for it and get the touchdown? Sure. But Baylor's running out of time here. Like they're, they're not going to have enough possessions if we just keep kicking field goals. So I, I, I lived with it. And, and look, Colby, you and I, as I mentioned, we yell and scream about fourth down decisions from Mike Gundy, but you just go over all the years he's been a head coach. It works out almost every time for him. I go back, I keep going back to that game in Austin when he's running, you know, the quarterback veer on third and 15 with J.W. Walsh and punting, just let Texas lose the game. He, him settling for field goals and punting has worked out more than it has not. And I thought Mike really really justified that and, and picked up a huge win when his counterpart is, is taking the ultra Twitter aggressive go for it on fourth down approach. And, and Mike Gundy won that battle. He really did. Yeah. Are you talking about the fourth down at the end of the game where they settled for the field goal to go up 11 with like five minutes left? Yes. Was there only five minutes left? I thought there was more time than that, but I think it was about five minutes. Uh, I've got it. I've got it pulled up here. I can go to the, uh, the scoring plays and see how much. Yeah, time there was a, uh, well, the, Four forty-eight left. Tanner Brown made a twenty-six-yard field goal. Uh, I think that they'd end up back. They didn't. Well, I'm talking about the one too. On um, there was a minute forty-eight left in the third quarter. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you're talking about third quarter. Yeah, that was the Tanner Brown 19-yard field goal, uh, which was with 3.38 left in the third quarter. It put them up by 16. So, I believe it or not, Carson, you know me. I'm, I'm always go for it on fourth down guy, and, and I almost never, never want to kick from the one. This situation to me was very unique. Number one, that's Baylor on the other side of the football. You have struggled to push them off the ball, not only – Yesterday, when Oklahoma State did a decent job running the ball, but Baylor's still solid up front. To, to me, I was having some flashbacks to Big 12 championship game last year, and fourth and goal from the one didn't seem super enticing to me. Also, you're, you're playing the scoreboard in that situation, and if you go up by 16 right there, that's two touchdowns, that's two two-point conversions that Baylor has to get in order to get tied in this game, and there's no chance that in two possessions they can take a lead on you. Zero percent down by 16. If you go for that on fourth and one, you don't get it. Your defense has been susceptible to giving up big plays. Now you're up by 13. Now two touchdowns. You go two touchdowns, you lose the game. So the fact that it was Baylor on the other side, the scar tissue from previous fourth and goals from the one-yard line against Baylor, combined with the fact that you're playing the scoreboard in that situation, I actually, watching it live, we had a watch party at my parents' house. I said, you know what? Weirdly, I like this situation because you're playing the scoreboard. You go up by 16. There's absolutely no way that they beat you in, in two possessions. I, I just, I think he played the scoreboard there, and I think it was the, the right call at the time. And in hindsight, I definitely think it was the right decision. Oh, I, I agree. I mean, two touchdowns and two two-point conversions, that's, that's tough to overcome with, you know, basically a quarter of, of football left to play. And, and I beat. even if they pull it off, which would be a miracle, you're still not beat. Exactly. So no, I, I really thought Mike really handled that really well. And so Oklahoma state takes a lead into halftime. They're up 16, three, and they take the opening kickoff back for a touchdown. And my goodness, Jaden Nixon has some wheels, does he not? Because he even gets tripped up, starts stumbling. You wonder, oh, he's going to get caught. As soon as he got his feet under him, and Mike mentioned this in his post game, he said that, you know, Nixon's run 10, 6, 100-yard dashes. And he said well, as soon as he got two steps underneath him, he's back to four or five-ish speed. And I thought you saw that. And, again, we saw this against Oklahoma last year. After – remember, Colby, everyone complaining about – and rightfully so. I thought Oklahoma State had some of the worst special teams in the country after Joe DeForest had left Oklahoma State. There were several years there where their kick coverage struggled, their kicking game struggled. Well, it's back. They are back to playing some of the best special teams in the country because you think back to Bedlam last year, the kickoff return touchdown from, from Brennan Presley flipped that game. It was the biggest play in that game. This extends the lead even further, gets Baylor into catch-up mode, and just to, to wait to, to start the second half like that is so huge. And I think it just further proves what a complete team Oklahoma State is. They have a, they have a good defense. And people can sit there and talk about, oh, well, they gave up, you know, some big plays in the passing game. But Baylor's good. Blake Shapin's a good quarterback. That, that, touch, that deep touchdown pass he had over the top of Jason Taylor was perfectly placed. You just got to – these are two really good football teams. So they're, real, they're good defense. I thought they proved that against Baylor. Their special teams is elite, in my opinion, but when you when you calculate the punting game of Tom Hutton with their coverage units and return game, field goal kicking solid as well. And they've shown to be an electric offense at times, and Spencer showed that in the second half as well. But how was the watch party, Colby, when, when Jaden Nixon took off for the touchdown? Uh, it was an absolute 
madhouse. It uh, actually, I just handed my mom the baby. We all start going nuts, Carson. My mom's holding the baby. She's screaming, and then we all settle down. Now the baby's crying. You know, just as loud as the baby can possibly cry. So we had to make a new rule. If you're holding the baby, you can only fist pump. You can't actually yell. But she would have gone crazy anyway, Carson. Those are game changing plays. It, it's just, it's so demoralizing for a team to have that happen, especially right after halftime. I don't know if you saw when they, if you were like really watching the broadcast as they panned to the crowd and showed the fans. I mean, it took the breath out of the place. You go into halftime, they're coming out. They're like, all right, let's get a big stop, get the offense on the field, cut it to one possession. And in a matter of 15 seconds, Carson, you're, they're down by 20. All of a sudden now they're having to play serious catch-up the rest of the half. Those are game-changing plays. Jaden Nixon looks great. Brennan Presley with the one last year in Bedlam. We're seeing a resurgence of the kick return game uh, at Oklahoma State, Carson. It went away for, what, half a decade? There, there just weren't any meaningful returns at Oklahoma State. It was like from Tyreek to Bedlam last year. I'm trying to think of a meaningful one. I'm sure there's one I'm missing. But there was a stretch there where Oklahoma State was really struggling in the return game, both kickoffs and punts, and it seems like that has been brought back to life. Carson, not only Jaden Nixon taking one to the house, next time Baylor scores, they kick it deep to Brennan Presley. He brings it across midfield. The, the, I mean, Oklahoma State was starting at their own 35 and better all day long. It was just, uh, it was a, very impressive the way they blocked on the kickoff return uh, and the way those guys went out and just made, honestly, great individual plays. Jaden Nixon getting tripped up and taking it to the house. Those are big, big plays and it was incredibly demoralizing for Baylor right after the half and that play made it to where, honestly, they were just in too deep of a hole to dig themselves out of boy did they try i mean the very next series you know 49 yard touchdown from blake shapen to uh, monterey baldwin and uh so it was 23 to 3 before that now all of a sudden it's 23 10 and then everyone's worst fears about spencer sanders we, we look this has been this horse hasn't been kicked while it's dead it's been kicked it's been nuked it's been obliterated that he threw seven interceptions against baylor last year we all know that and he throws an interception after the Baylor touchdown. And all of a sudden, Colby, you're thinking, oh, here we go. Is, is this going to be a, you know, a replay of the Big, Big 12 championship game where they end up losing this game in the last few minutes because Baylor scores a touchdown there, the interception from Spencer Sanders, and then touchdown. Baylor, they drive it all the way down to the one-yard line and punch it in with, with Richard Reese. And all of a sudden, it's, it's 23-17, and you're thinking, uh-oh, here we go. And what happens next? The Brennan Presley return puts him in a great spot. And what does that do? Casey Dunn says, you know what? We're going for it right here. Deep ball. Braden Johnson just absolutely mosses the dude. I thought the ref, the referee made an incredible call because his foot did go out of bounds. It certainly appeared he was short, although we, for some reason, on a nationally televised game on Fox, we still don't have the look down the goal line from the other pylon. I don't understand why. It seems like we never have that angle that we need. But they punch it in regardless with Dominic Richardson from one yard out, which Colby kind of exercised some demons against Baylor on the one yard line. You know, the, 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 the big defensive tackle from Baylor had to be licking his chops again, but what a response from not only Casey Dunn to, to go for it there, but for Spencer to drop an absolute diamond for Braden Johnson to high point that ball and Moss, the guy he did the way he did. He is emerging Colby. Braden Johnson is becoming Tay Martin. He's becoming you're Tylen Wallace, so to speak. Do I think he's as good as Tylen Wallace? Probably not. Tylen Wallace should win the Bolitnikoff. But what he's proving is he is the wide receiver one on the outside that when the chips are down, you can throw it up to him. He's going to go make a play because that was big time. 
Yeah, I'm telling you, he is an X factor in this offense because he forces teams to defend 50 yards down the field. And that guy is so, so valuable because he opens things up for the rest of the offense. That ball, uh, I, I thought was actually a little bit underthrown by Spencer, but I mean, you, you can only throw it so far. He, he heaved it down the field. I think it traveled 50, 55 yards in the air probably. And Braden Johnson comes back and just makes a great catch. It, it looked like almost it initially slipped through his hands a little bit, but then he got his hands back on top of it, pinned it to the dude's helmet, brought it in. Uh, great call by the ref, calling him out at the half-yard line, which on replay I thought was absolutely the right call. Still crazy that we don't have a, a – camera down that goal line where we can see where the ball is at but I thought he was a half yard short they're able to punch it in Braden Johnson is an x-factor Carson he's just you have to worry about him deep even in that cover two that they were sitting in all day that they couldn't get out of because they're scared of the deep ball when you're scared of the deep ball and you're scared of the quarterback taking off and running and you've got Brendan Presley on the field and you've got Dominic Richardson as a bowling ball I mean you're playing some seriously complimentary offense that makes it tough to defend uh you know 36 points, you get uh, obviously the kick return that, that gets you an extra seven, but man, that offense looks good, and they're just, they're hard to defend, Carson, because they can beat you in a ton of different ways. Uh, you mentioned the Spencer interception. The way he bounced back was great. I said on the pod last week, don't panic if he throws one. You can overcome one. It's it's part of it. He, he's got a mental block against Baylor. We're going to get one, but we didn't get two. Carson, he, he threw the one, and then he bounced back. Uh, Mike Gundy even talked about the interception after the game. They were in cover two all day, and, and Gundy's assessment of it, he said when he threw the pick, the corner carried the wide out, and when the corner carries the wide out up the field, that usually tells Spencer, okay, I'm going to come out in the flat. That guy came over in the flat, sunk underneath it, made a really good play. Those things happen. That's football, but I thought it showed a lot about Spencer Sanders that he didn't dwell on it. He, he was clapping, walking to the sideline. He got back out after it, didn't make another mistake the rest of the game. It uh, I, That's, to me, serious growth from your quarterback. It is, and it's it's a trend. I mean, the you know, that's – we've seen that after the interception he threw earlier this year. He didn't he didn't get down on himself and press, and where it leads to an impasse of his career, it would lead to more turnovers, would lead to more interception because he's, he's pushing the envelope trying to get one back. And he didn't do that. And I think – we're starting to see now after this game, and you think about the two matchups last year, Oklahoma State's the better football team. I mean, they won in the regular season despite three picks from Spencer. They were an inch short of winning despite four interceptions from Spencer in the Big 12 title game. And what happens in this one? He throws one. Cowboys win by double digits. And now all three wins Mike Gundy's had over Dave Aranda are by double digits. So I, I think – you know, and look, I'm high on Dave Aranda. A lot of people are for a lot of good reasons. But he's got a ways to go to catch Mike Gundy. And I, I don't understand why people don't talk about Mike in the same breath as, you know, the Dave Arandas of the world nationally. Maybe they will now. Maybe that maybe this year that'll change. But um, you just look back to the, the, the ensuing series after that touchdown from Oklahoma State. I think this is kind of where I think you have a point, Colby, about Aranda maybe perhaps panicking. Because it's fourth and two. They're on their own 33-yard line. In a in a tight game with the with this with, it's still early in this game, and they go for it on fourth and two and don't get it, and that's when Mike decides to kick the field goal on on the one yard line and just take the points. And I thought again, I think that's completely reckless from Dave Veranda. Dave Spencer Sanders, I know he just threw a touchdown, or basically threw a touchdown pass down to the one yard line, but don't you try to make Spencer try to beat you through the air again and see if you can get another interception? I thought he took the ball out of Spencer's hands. And, and really put it in a much more advantageous, advantageous position for Oklahoma State as a team. 
by going for it in that situation. I'm all for going for it, Colby. You and I have talked about this for years, but situation matters. You cannot go for it. It's fourth and two. It's not fourth and an inch where you can just fall forward and get the first down. I mean, thank you very much, Dave Aranda. That's what Mike Gundy has to be saying today. Yeah, I absolutely think so. Again, it, it's situational, right? I'm big on going for it on fourth down, but you have to read the room a little bit. And and I thought Dave Aranda was a little desperate in the second half of that game, thinking Oklahoma State was the better team. Uh, and I thought he got a little bit reckless there. I want to circle back, Carson, to a big play in this game that I think is, is just – it's going to be overlooked. It's going to be underrated. People are not going to remember it. Oklahoma State, this is late in the third quarter, third and 13 – for the Cowboys on their own 16 yard line minute and five to go in the third quarter. Baylor has crazy momentum at this point. This is 33 25. They're coming back. They just got the touchdown on fourth and five. They got the two point conversion. They're about to stop Oklahoma state inside their own 20, get the ball back near midfield. This is, this is the time for Baylor, right? This is when they're going to make their comeback. And on third and 13 with his heels, damn near on his own goal line, Spencer Sanders drops back, throws a dart to Brennan Presley over the middle of the field. They pick up 15 yards. They end up getting it inside Baylor territory. Uh, Bryson green, that's the, that's the drive where he had the drop on third down, had his hands probably the wrong way instead of turning it over as it, as it was coming in down around his knees. Uh, and then they pin Baylor inside their own 10 yard line. So that's what does that force Baylor to do as Mike Gundy says, go more than 90 yards to score a touchdown. That is what set up the Thomas Harper interception as Baylor moved the ball about 30 yards up the field. And then Thomas Harper gets the pick that throw from Spencer on third and 13 sets up the drive to get you down in Baylor territory, pin them deep. That leads to the Thomas Harper interception. It's the domino effect, right? And that throw from Spencer was big, big, big time at a point when Baylor had every bit of momentum in the game. I agree. I remember as soon as that pass play happened, I just said that was huge just to get out of that situation, flip the field a little bit. I, I'm totally with you. That was a big time throw amongst many that he had uh, throughout the game. And, you know, as much as I want to say Dave Arando was reckless, it certainly paid off on uh, fourth and five. They're on their own 30. They throw the 70 yard touchdown to cut it to 33 25. And this is curious to me. Did you hear, I happen to hear Mike's explanation on this, Colby? I'll, I'll read it for you if you hadn't. I don't believe so. Fire away. Well, my Gundy quote basically, it was my fault because they checked it. And I told Derek Mason, I want you to check it and change it. He changed it and it was too late. Not too late, but it was really too late. <laughs> By the time they got the call, we lost the over route. Right, wrong, or indifferent, that was my fault. I usually know better than to make a decision on defense because I'm not a defensive guy. They looked over and checked it. And I said, Mason, check, check, check. And then he checked it and I didn't get it in quick enough. So we didn't get lined up and we missed the over route. That's my fault. It really is. I'm being honest with you. I took that one. Now, there's two, there's two ways to look at this. I mean, one, you hired Derek Mason to be the defensive coordinator. Why are you overriding him at the last second on a check? Like, you hired the guy. <laughs> let him call the plays. But I can't sit there and completely criticize Mike Gundy when, you know, years ago he was sitting on an equipment trunk drawn up offensive plays, not even paying attention to the defense. This shows how locked in Mike is. This shows he is coaching his ass off. So I like it from that, that perspective. And I think this is a learning point for Mike to just kind of stay out of it. If it's the last second, live with Mason's call, let him do his job. But I thought that was a, a wild explanation for Mike Gundy that he basically took the blame for them giving up a 70-yard touchdown on, on fourth and five. That is very interesting. I mean, good for him for going out and taking the blame, not putting it on the on the 
the defense? Because I'm sitting there, Carson, and I'm watching Xavier Benson, your second linebacker, young, not not exactly a speed demon, and he's on Baylor's absolute uh, you, you know, speedster in the slot covering him. He comes across the field. I mean, the ball was thrown like a yard behind the receiver and, and Benson still wasn't able to catch up because he was so far behind him. I'm thinking, why is that guy in that position covering him on this play? And Mike Gundy taking ownership of it after the game was great. You almost wonder in hindsight, Carson, you, you win the game, you, you face adversity in the fourth quarter. It's all good. You almost wonder if in hindsight, it was a good thing that he got burnt there because maybe that will get it to click for Mike Gundy. Hey, I, I've got a defensive coordinator here. He's got the team set up. We're, we're aligned defensively. I don't need to radio in and check away from that it, with three seconds left for guys to get checked into something else. That's that's a recipe for disaster. And if it would have cost Oklahoma State the game, uh, I, I would have been curious to see what he would have said then because that would have been uh, an epic disaster. So uh, good for him for taking ownership. I hope in the future, kind of like you said, just – I mean, you hired Derek Mason to run your defense. Let Derek Mason run your defense. So, uh, you know, respect the fact that he took ownership. Uh, but I hope that that is a one-time error this season because you got away with it yesterday, and I would hate for it to burn you at some point. Yep, which, again, credit Mike for for owning it. That's That takes a lot. A lot of coaches would just, you know, say, hey, we give a big play, but we won the game. So uh, credit to Mike for for really divulging and going that, that deep into it. Um, but the play that, you know, ultimately seals this game for Oklahoma State is, again, <laughs> once again, you mentioned the, the Thomas Harper interception was huge. Uh, that, that certainly had a part in it. You know, Oklahoma State gave up some plays on defense, and that's going to happen when you're playing a team, the caliber of Baylor. And I think Baylor's really kind of found themselves offensively with their receivers. They got good receivers. And once again, Jason Taylor, the playmaker, the guy has the biggest nose for the ball of any defensive back I can remember in the history of the school. And he makes, I mean, this is Colby. This was a catch that that Des Bryant, Tylen Wallace, Rashawn Woods would be proud of. That interception catch. He gets the one foot down right on the sideline. An incredible play. Really seals the game. I know Oklahoma State had to ice the game a little further with a with a punt, but Oklahoma State's defense made a statement here, as well as the whole team, that they can make plays and they have the athletes to do so. And I, I covered Jason Taylor when he was in high school at Carl Albert. And to me, he's just the quintessential Mike Gundy recruit. I kind of mentioned that along with uh, Malcolm Rodriguez. You know, just a guy, when you go watch him play in, in Oklahoma high school, looks the part, obviously plays the part, and you kind of sit there and go, wow, like, can't believe more schools aren't on this guy. Oklahoma State clearly knows something that other people just aren't looking at because this guy can really play. And he has come into his own, Colby, and become a really – Really big-time safety for Oklahoma State. You think about the special teams plays he's made in addition to just playing in the defensive backfield. But just Jason Taylor is a baller. And you look up and down this roster on defense. When you watch this game from beginning to finish, you just look up and down it. You, you start to think, sure, they gave up some big plays in the passing game, but you just look at the ass kickers they have up and down this lineup. You look at Kendall Daniels. That guy can play just about anywhere. You got Brock Martin shucking left tackles to next week. You've got the defensive line that Oklahoma State has. And just the athletes, top to bottom, Oklahoma State can go to war with anybody. I don't want to hear about anyone else in the country just mopping the floor with Oklahoma State. You see Georgia struggling with Missouri. They can, they can get beat on any given Saturday. Alabama, damn near lost to Texas. So it's time for people to watch Oklahoma State 
realize it's not just 2010 anymore where they're just running spread offense and hoping to hang on by scoring a lot of points. They shut down a good offense in Baylor, a Baylor team coming off a Sugar Bowl win against big, bad SEC Ole Miss. And that's really what struck me, Colby, is just looking at this defense and the offense for that matter. OSU looks the part, man. They got dudes up and down the roster at every position. And I think Jason Taylor is a perfect encapsulation of that. Carson, I'm going to ask you a question. I don't want you to answer it instinctively. I want us to actually think about it and air it out a little bit. Can we name five better teams today in college football than Oklahoma State? Yes or no? What do you think? No, absolutely not. I mean, I can't come up with five. I mean, because of what they've done, I could give you Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State. Those three programs, I, I can give you those three. Once we get past those three, I mean, is there somebody I'm missing besides Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State? Um, USC was four and eight last well, let's year. Well, go let's go down the rankings. You got Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and I agree with you. Those three teams, I think, would be rightfully favored and picked to beat Oklahoma State. I'd probably pick those three teams to beat Oklahoma State. Although, again... Ohio State struggled with Notre Dame on their home field. Like this, this comes down to the helmet logo discussion we've come, we've come, we've talked about for years. I don't know if Ohio State just comes out and just beats the floor with Oklahoma State. I, I would say no, but I think you're right. Those three teams rightfully favored. Then you get to number four and five, Michigan and Clemson. Do those two teams scare you? They don't no. scare me. USC no. is next, and then you get to Oklahoma State in the AP poll. So the answer to your question is absolutely not. I would take my chances against all of those teams. Now, would they beat Alabama? Probably not. Would they beat Georgia? Maybe. Probably not. Ohio State? I'd like to see it. Michigan? I'd love to see that. I mean, you want to talk about a team that couldn't move the football against Oklahoma State, it'd be Michigan. Clemson? Still not sold on their quarterback. They don't look like vintage Clemson to me. USC is a paper tiger playing over there in the Pac-12. If they don't get turnovers, their defense can't stop anybody. And so... Yeah, to answer your question, no, there are not there are not five teams better than Oklahoma State. There's maybe three. Yeah, I think that there's three, and then I think whenever you look at four or five, Michigan and Clemson, uh, I think Michigan, Clemson, Oklahoma State, probably somewhat interchangeable a little bit. If, if someone nationally was having this conversation, uh, you know, you look at Michigan and Clemson, they've, they've been successful. They've won a lot of games. I get that. Um, but let's say even if you give it, even if you give one of those two teams the nod over Oklahoma State, I don't think I'm giving them both the nod over Oklahoma State. So I definitely think that Oklahoma State is one of the five best teams in the country right now, uh, and I hope that they'll get a chance to prove it as the season goes forward. Carson, I want to talk more about this defense and these interceptions they came up with in the fourth, the fourth quarter. I had this thought yesterday, and I went and looked it up today to, to kind of see if, if what I was thinking in the moment was actually accurate. Ames. 2019. Let's hop in the time machine. Ames, Iowa, 2019. Oklahoma State goes up there. And in 2019, this is very much a defense that is trying to find itself, Carson. They're trying to figure it out. They go up there. This is a hard-fought game between Oklahoma State and Iowa State. And what does Oklahoma State do? They beat the Cyclones in the fourth quarter with three interceptions. And that defense, to an extent, found itself that day, and I was having deja vu to Ames 2019 as Oklahoma State iced this game in the fourth quarter yesterday with Thomas Harper coming up with one off the hands of the Baylor receiver. Great job juggling that ball and bringing it in. Jason Taylor, like you said, making the big play on the sideline, comes flying in from off the screen. Just an unbelievably athletic play. The awareness to get the foot foot down. He's holding the ball out, palming it, so there's no question about whether there was any bobble as he went out of bounds. This, to me, Carl, 
Carson felt a lot like Ames 2019, where that defense goes out, gets multiple interceptions in the fourth quarter against a good opponent on the road in Big 12 play when they needed to prove it. That felt like a prove-it quarter from the Oklahoma State defense. When they needed stops, they needed big turnovers, what did they do? They got them. I, I, I think that it really matters that they didn't just allow Baylor to just kind of go down the field, kick a field goal, and then you recover the onside kick and take knees. Getting two interceptions in that fourth quarter is going to build confidence for this defense. I think they found themselves a little bit yesterday. Yeah, I think they answered a lot of questions. You know, that's been the big talking point nationally. Is this Oklahoma State defense back to what they used to be? Was last year just an aberration? That's been the talking point. You know, they give up a lot of yards and points to Central Michigan. There were rightfully some concerns there. You know, shut down Arizona State. Didn't earn a lot of, you know, credit for that. But their performance against Baylor, I think, proves that they're they're good on defense. This is not... This is not 2007 Oklahoma State defense. They're not going to just revert back to that. And... To your point, this has been building. This isn't us saying, oh, all of a sudden, Oklahoma State's one of the five best teams in the country. No, they've won 18 of their past 20 games. I think it was um, Cody Nagel had the, had the stat, you know, win percentages since the end of 2020. Uh, let's see here. He had a really good stat. Let me pull it up. He tweets a lot. Dang, Cody, you slow down here. Here we go. Uh <laughs> Not polls and polls and polls, but they fact is, Colby, they've won 18 of their past 20 games. So what that tells you is they're one of the best teams in the country, one of the best programs in the country. Here it is, highest win percentage in the FBS since December 12th, 2020. You got Georgia one, Alabama two, and tied for third is Oklahoma State and Ohio State. So if you're listening to this and think we're just sunshine pumping for Oklahoma State and, and vaulting them into this category they don't belong, just listen to that. Tied for third in the country in win percentage since 20, December of 2020. This has been building. And this is kind of my overall opinion of the game. I tweeted it afterwards. You know, Oklahoma State has been in this quagmire offensive situation for the last two, three years. And they've still been winning despite that, according to these win percentages. But Oklahoma State's brand of offensive football is back the way they came out throwing the football in this game. They were not scared. They let Spencer cook. Finally, Spencer is cooking. Thank you. Thank you, Casey Dunn. Gundy ball is back on offense. And that's really all that's held them back the last two, three years. So you combine that with a good, not great. They were great last year on defense. They're a good defense. And that's good enough to beat anybody in the country. You combine those two factors. So that's, that's my biggest takeaway from this game, Colby, is Gundy ball is back on offense. And what that means is they're in the driver's seat to not only win the big 12, but to perhaps make it to the college football playoff. They were an inch away last year. This is not something new. This has been building and they continue to build Colby because this was a big time win on the road. Your first big 12 game out of the gate, by the way, is one of your toughest, maybe the toughest when you look at what's going on down in Norman and credit to Mike Gundy. OSU is back. They are on the national scene, and they're going to be there because they are a really good football team in all three phases, and they showed it against Baylor. Yeah, they are. It's it's really impressive what Mike Gundy has done. They're absolutely a college football playoff contender. I still think simply because of helmet logo and the, and the world that we exist in that they might have to go undefeated to make it. I don't know if one loss gets you in, especially with the weak non-conference schedule. Uh, You're still ranked seventh. 
I know last year I think they would have gotten in uh, with one loss, but last year things got really weird toward the end of the season. You don't know if that's going to happen again. New AP poll is out. So Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, that's one, two, three. Four through seven, Carson, is in this order, four through seven, Michigan, Clemson, USC, Oklahoma State. So let's just look here. USC is ranked ahead of Oklahoma State. Their most impressive win, Carson, USC's most impressive win is probably – Oregon State. I mean, is it Oregon State? Yeah. 17 to 14. Okay. 17 to 14 on the road against Oregon State is their most impressive win. They were four and eight a year ago. I know they brought in Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams. I, I don't see how you can rank that team ahead of Oklahoma State unless you're just fascinated with the fact that Lincoln Riley is at USC uh, and they've got Caleb Williams. It's it's a helmet logo thing. It's a narrative thing. More so By the way, Oregon State got housed 42 to 16 to Utah on the road. Of course they did. So USC with zero quality wins. Zero quality wins on the schedule. Ranked sixth ahead of Oklahoma State, who's ranked seventh. Let's go now to Clemson. Clemson is ranked fifth. Uh, I can get with Clemson a little bit. Uh, Some big wins. Double overtime two Saturdays ago against Wake Forest. They're able to pull out a, a magical victory there. Mighty Wake Forest. Mighty Wake Forest this last week. I don't know how good NC State is, but they were a top 10 team in the country. So if, if you're voting for the AP and you see that Clemson beat a top 10 team and with the reputation Clemson has, I don't super have a problem with Clemson at five win over a top 10 team this past Saturday. Michigan at four. Let, let's look for the quality wins on Michigan's schedule. Colorado State, Hawaii, Yukon, Maryland. They beat Maryland at home by seven. Maryland. Last week, they go to Iowa. Yesterday, they go to Iowa. Terrible, terrible Iowa. They win 27-14 to 14 in an ugly game in which the over-under of 42 still couldn't be hit by Michigan and Iowa. They do not have a better quality win on their schedule than Oklahoma State does against Baylor. This is absolutely just a helmet logo vote to not only have Michigan ahead of Oklahoma State, the voters also have Michigan ahead of Clemson, and it's just an absolute joke that they are getting that respect because they're Michigan, because they play in the Big Ten, Michigan should easily be behind Clemson and Oklahoma State in the rankings. Uh, USC probably then behind Michigan. So I think Oklahoma State should be at five with Clemson at four if I was filling out my ballot. But again, that's just USC and Michigan is nothing other than helmet logo. That's all it is. Because you you look at Michigan's schedule. This might be the worst schedule in the country. Colorado State, Hawaii, Yukon, Maryland, Iowa. Like, what the – like, that is – Awful. Like if Oklahoma State had played that schedule, they'd be ranked like 23rd in the country. Like that's a joke. And so look, that's that's not changing. All Oklahoma State has to do is keep winning. And that's proving to be difficult in the Big 12. This this conference is really good top to bottom. Chaos seemingly happening every week in the Big 12. But you're right, Colby. The rankings are a joke. We know that going in. It is what it is, as they say. And uh, well, Oklahoma State will have to keep winning. They, they play Texas Tech next week. Then it uh, becomes a little tougher at TCU, Texas at home, at K-State, at Kansas, Iowa State, at OU, West Virginia. I mean, that's that's tough, but those are all winnable games for Oklahoma State. So the way you earn respect is just keep on winning because I don't know why Michigan gets credit for playing in that weak Big Ten that Nebraska is tied for the lead in the West Division of the Big Ten. We'll get to that. but Northwestern! Northwestern, Carson! Wait, Northwestern is tied too? Yes, they're all one and one because they're oh all. Oh my god! Terrible. Oh my god! They're all like one it's, and one. 
It's absolutely amazing. Minnesota was supposed to be the undefeated team in the Big 12 West because they got the cupcake schedule. Joel Clout last week, that's a good football team. We could be seeing them in the conference championship game. They put up 10 against Purdue and get beat. What a joke. They scored 10 points against Purdue. Like, they're not playing the steel curtain. Purdue is Purdue. Like, it's unbelievable that the Big 10 carries so much sway despite – them making an absolute fool of themselves this year. I mean, it's it's on full display for everyone. So whenever they start these college football playoff shows, I'm I'm already triggered about how they're going to be talking about how great Michigan's defense is when they're going up against these teams that are scoring ten points in a game. Uh, someone, uh, let's see here. Uh, Josh Garrett passed on this tweet. Eighty four. That's the number of rushing yards Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota combined for yesterday. Jesus. 84 total. And that's a, these are offenses that can't throw it. And they're running for 84 combined rushing yards. So that, that was going to be some of my BBs. Let's, let's get to uh, bullets and BBs, Colby. Uh, lots, you can give out plenty of bullets for the, the performance against Oklahoma State for sure. Uh, yeah, there, there's a lot that could go around. I decided on my bullet, Spencer Sanders, Carson, no regard for his own safety, no regard for anything other than making a winning play at a crucial moment in that football game. Ollie Gordon, the true freshman, is out there late in the game. He turns the corner, gets absolutely popped, helmet on football. True freshman didn't have both hands on it. It comes out, and Carson, that ball is spinning like a top in Waco, Texas, and it felt like it was on the ground for about nine seconds, and Spencer Sanders comes flying in from off the screen like a human missile, lands on top of that thing. It doesn't doesn't pop out of there. He immediately secures it. I mean, that could have been such a disaster. You're down there to kick the field goal to go up by 11, essentially icing the game. Your true freshman fumbles. It could have been a disaster, Carson. And Spencer Sanders, who no one – there have been a lot of criticisms of him throughout his career, a lot of fair criticisms, uh, even though he's now turned into just a great college football player. One thing no one has ever been able to criticize Spencer Sanders for is his willingness to win and to do whatever it takes takes to get there and yesterday that was just an unbelievable play by your leader in a huge moment and all the respect in the world for Spencer Sanders no business decisions being made when the game is on the line he flew in there he did what needed to be done he gets the bullet quarterbacks in the country would dive headfirst into that scrum for that football I I don't know of of any is Caleb Williams doing that or is he making a business decision as you said that's I think he's, I think he's making a business decision. I think he'll go. Ah, we'll get, we'll get the ball back and I'll go score. And, and that, how many quarterbacks can get in there that fast, Carson? I mean, he was yeah. off the screen. He comes in at full speed, diving in there. There aren't too many quarterbacks who even have the speed and quickness and acceleration to get there before the defense does. Yeah, and I, I think it really kind of sums up who Spencer Sanders is. He is a. He is a football player that happens to play quarterback. You know, I, I kind of jokingly tweeted, where does he rank on the all-time running backs to play at Oklahoma State? That's literally what he turns into with the, with the ball in his hands. And I think it kind of just sums up who he is. Mike Gundy's talked about his entire career about how competitive he is. Quote from Mike Gundy, I'm glad for him. Spencer's a competitive dude now. We all know this because we cover him locally. We know that. For some reason, people don't give him enough credit. It is what it is. Now we can always we can go back. I've always said it with this with him. Whenever we rush the ball decent, decent like we did today, which is really good against this front, 
he played good. Uh, you know, we didn't protect him in the championship game, but his competitiveness was on full display. I'm so glad you brought up that play. We needed to talk about it. And look, I hesitate, and this is not my Ollie Gordon fandom coming out here. I just, I hesitate to criticize running backs for fumbling when it's helmet on ball. I mean, even if he has both hands on it, how many running backs are able to hang on to the ball when he gets a, a spear directly into the football? I just, I hesitate to, to, you know, call out Ollie Gordon for that. I know he's a freshman. I know everyone's going, oh, that's what a freshman's mistake. I think Dominic Richardson fumbles the football if it's helmet on ball like that. I mean, we've seen that. He's fumbled one, I think, this year with helmet on ball. That, 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 that type of stuff happens. But for Spencer I, to fall on that ball, that was big time. I, I don't know about the fumble with Ollie. Because to me, in that moment, you're not trying to score. You're not trying to gain more yards. If there's a big hole and it happens, fine. In that moment, all you're trying to do is not fumble and you're going to win the football game. To me, that's a two-hand scenario. That's an I'm holding my newborn baby and I've got both hands wrapped around, pinned up against my chest. It's... Yes, it was a great hit by the defender, and I'm not saying it wasn't. It was a great hit by the defender. I just think in that moment, it's a, it's a two-armed, wrapped around that thing, where even if you get popped, you get popped and you go down, but, but both your arms are wrapped around the ball. That's fair. It, it's certainly fair. But, man, that was such a huge play from, from Spencer. And, and again, I, I think I'm going to give a bullet to Spencer as well. I mean, his numbers don't wow you, but 20 of 29 is excellent. Uh, they didn't ask him to air it out throughout this game. Rush's leading rusher at 75 yards and a touchdown. His ability to make plays with his legs was really the difference on the offensive side for Oklahoma State. He sure he hit some big plays to, to Braden Johnson, who was awesome. Brennan Presley had eight catches for 86 yards. But his ability when things break down to improvise and use his mobility – it's tough to combat. I mean, Baylor's a really good defense, and they, they were running out of answers getting him down to the ground. And so that's, that's certainly a bullet for me. And I do have one more. It goes to Casey Dunn because, again, he didn't ball up, as he likes to say. He said um, – I'll pull up the quote. But he came out and ran the Oklahoma State offense. They came out in 10 personnel. He said, we're going we're gonna to run our offense. And, quote, from Casey Dunn, we're not going to ball up. We're going we're gonna to play ball. I think we got into our 10 personnel set and wanted to get aggressive with it and wanted to play as fast as we could. And that's what they did. They played some up-tempo. But the main reason that he gets the, the bullet is coming off the kickoff return, he doesn't just hand it off tackle. He goes, we're going to take a shot. And they complete it to Braden Johnson. But even more so, the perfectly timed call on the trick play from John Paul Richardson, that is big-time offensive coordinating. Sensing the moment, you have that in your back pocket. Calling trick plays, there's an art to it. You know, there's, there's certain times where it's not the right situation. He waited for the perfect time. If John Paul Richardson throws it on the money, it's an easy walk-in touchdown. We all know what happened there. But a perfectly timed call in a perfect situation. I thought Casey Dunn had a really, really good game. And, I, and he deserves credit because he's taken a lot of heat since he's become the offensive coordinator. Rightfully so. The offense has been in a quagmire, as I mentioned, but it's back. Gundy ball's back. Dunn had a, called a perfect game, and I thought he called the trick play at the perfect time. He absolutely did. That was a great call. John Paul Richardson, you can see the look on his face. He knew that he almost botched it. Uh, didn't get the easy walk-in touchdown, but at least you still got down there and set yourself up. Another great catch by Bryson Green. Carson, it's time for a BB. 
I'm going to give my BB to David Hale. David Hale is a staff writer for ESPN. I am going to read for you his recap of the Oklahoma State-Baylor game yesterday, and you just tell me – there's a little joke in there. He's clearly being sarcastic at the end about Kansas. But you just tell me where the inaccuracies are with David Hale's recap of OSU and Baylor yesterday, just further proving that people nationally are just not paying attention. Here's what he had to say. Baylor thwarted Oklahoma State twice last season, but on Saturday, the Cowboys delivered their response with a 36-25 win. Spencer Sandals, who struggled mightily in last year's two losses, threw for 181, ran for 75 more, and accounted for two touchdowns. Mike Gundy's team hasn't gotten much love so far, but the Cowboys have won all four of their games by double digits, and if not for Big 12 power, Kansas would be a clear favorite to win the league. Carson, where are the inaccuracies in David Hale's recap? Uh, Oklahoma State did not lose twice to Baylor last year. Ding, ding, ding. We have a winner. Oklahoma State did not lose twice to Baylor last year. It's the easiest thing to not get wrong. It takes about two seconds to Google it and look it up. Um, it, I just, Carson, they're not paying attention. They're not paying attention. I did go back in and double check it. Somebody caught it. It has been fixed, so you can't see it now. But shout out to Trey Brewer for tweeting it at us uh, so that we could see it before they took it down. Because, uh, again, we just... We have to call out the national media whenever they get this stuff wrong because they're not paying attention to what's happening with Oklahoma State football, uh, and they need to be. Yeah, and I, I tweeted, you know, during the game, I hope people are watching nationally. I know the Alabama-Arkansas game was on, but uh, hopefully people are paying attention that these are two elite teams that play really good defense, that you can't just go back to this crutch of, well, I don't really watch Big 12 football. They, they play really good offense and not much defense. That's what I'm going to say when I put my microphone on. That, that's that's right. That's that's what everyone thinks. That's what we're going to go with. How about you watch the games, pay attention, because this team is one of the best teams in the country. So I, I thought that was just a perfect example that people just aren't paying attention. But they better start because uh, Oklahoma State's for real. Uh, another BB for me would be number 47 for Baylor named Caleb Parker. Do you know why I'm – Talking about him for my BB. I don't believe so, no. Well, after, you know, grasping at air, after giving up a kickoff return touchdown to start the second half, he makes a tackle and proceeds to celebrate like he just won the Super Bowl. And look, I'm all for getting fired up for a special teamer to make a big tackle and kind of bring some juice to the sideline. That's fine. But you got to know situation, just like Dave Aranda needs to know situation on fourth down. You just gave up a kickoff return for a touchdown, dude. And then what happens on the next kickoff he covers? Brennan Presley runs it for 50 yards. 47, Caleb Parker's there huffing and puffing, pushes him out of bounds. Starts going crazy again to where his teammate grabs his shoulder pad and like does the kind of calm down hand motion. Like, dude, you look like an absolute idiot. We just gave up a touchdown and a 50-yard kickoff return. Settle down. We're on special teams. Do your job and get over the sideline. Like, that was hilarious that his own teammate had to be like, dude, you're making a fool of yourself. Like, stop. Like, that rarely ever happens. So I thought that was kind of a, a perfect encapsulation of Baylor not knowing time and situation. That was a good one. That was a good one. A little under the radar BB there. Uh, all right, Carson, the uh, Chris's University Spirit uniform review. You nailed it. The Icy Whites, all white on the hot field in Baylor. Well done, sir. Yeah, I didn't uh... – I didn't nail the helmet. I guess the helmet I picked was Curse of Cowboys. But, hey, I picked all white. They did wear it. thought it's a good look. It was kind of like a color rush game because you had Baylor wearing probably the worst uniform I've seen besides maybe some of the Maryland atrocities they try to come up with. TCU was on my radar playing against Oklahoma. Like, they, they their uniforms, like, look, people still like them for some reason. Like, 
you can't even hardly make out that it's a horn frog on their helmet. They've got silver numbers everywhere. They've got the Wakanda neck line going on design. Like it's, it's awful. But Baylor's mustard bottle uniforms against Oklahoma State are probably the worst uniforms in the country. I mean, they're even worse than what TCU and, and Maryland are trotting out there. But I thought Oklahoma State looked great. They won the uniform battle as well. They won the uniform battle by a ton. I actually think the uniform battle played in huge because there's no way Baylor walked onto that field with confidence wearing what you accurately described as their mustard bottle uniforms. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's definitely a good one. Carson, uh, we're running a little long here. How much do we want to talk about what happened in Fort Worth? Because, whoo, buddy, did uh, my opinion of a couple of teams change yesterday around uh, noon, 1 o'clock. Yeah, I've got to get out of here pretty soon, too. We can touch more on it um, uh, this week leading into the, the Texas Tech game. But Oklahoma's in real trouble because – and look, they lost their quarterback. They're probably going to get run out of stadium if, if Dylan Gabriel can't play because they've got nothing behind him. But make no mistake, their defense was getting run off the field before that. And Dylan Gabriel is just a guy. As I said, he is overthrowing every pass. They literally couldn't complete a pass before that, before he got knocked out of the game and really was a dirty hit. But Oklahoma has not been dominated like that since before Bob Stoops arrived. That was a total flogging. And not only did they just get beat and give up 70-yard touchdowns all over the place, they got beat up. TCU demoralized them. Just absolutely, that was a prison beating. I mean, their, their injury list is lengthy after that game on top of just getting embarrassed. And so, Colby, I mean, Oklahoma's in real trouble. I mean, they are in real trouble because they don't have the quarterback play and their defense somehow might even be worse than it was last year or the year before. Uh, yeah, Carson, I, I predicted a Bedlam Big 12 championship game. I don't know whether Oklahoma State will get there because there are some good teams in this conference. I think Oklahoma State's a clear favorite, but I don't know for sure that they'll get there. Carson, I think I can say with certainty, I was, I was wrong on Oklahoma. I don't think we're getting the Bedlam rematch in the Big 12 championship game. Even with Gabriel, they were going to get run out of the stadium yesterday. Dylan Gabriel's not out there giving up 55 points. Uh, and, and when he was playing, he played very poorly earlier in the game. Uh, I definitely thought it was a dirty hit from the TCU guy, and you could tell it was – it's. I mean, football, those things happen. He, he was sick about it on the sideline. I, I don't want to label him a dirty player the rest of his life. I definitely thought it was a dirty play, though. Uh, Dylan Gabriel gets knocked out. It's just they look bad, Carson. It's an OU that I'm not used to seeing. E even against Kansas State, I was like, okay, it's just the Kansas State fluke phenomenon thing. Uh, but, no, it, it's, a, it's a seriously uh, downtrodden OU team. They, they get blindsided by a big five-star defensive tackle, but defensive line recruit last week uh, who flipped A&M at the last minute and didn't tell anybody. They go out and give up 55 to TCU and get embarrassed. Carson, they're unranked. Kansas is ranked. OU's unranked. We're living in the upside down. Uh, it was weird to watch yesterday. I'd, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't loving it, though. No, it was uh, it was bizarre world. And the fact that college game day is going to Lawrence, Kansas, with Kansas atop the Big 12 standings, playing an unbeaten TCU. I mean, it's, it is uh, the upside down. We're living in it. But what's not upside down is Oklahoma State, once again, one of the best teams in the Big 12, one of the best teams in the country, they went out and proved it. I picked Baylor. That was the wrong pick. Oklahoma State had chances to blow that game wide open. Credit Baylor for not allowing it to happen. They certainly played a role in that. you got to give them credit. But Oklahoma State's a better team to where if they play in a Big 12 championship game scenario with good on good, 
I'm picking Oklahoma State from here on out. They're they're better at the quarterback position, and I think they're better in, in all three phases. And um, again, just a tremendous performance, top to bottom. I, Colby, you and I discussed when Mike Gundy would finally retire. When we thought that you, you changed my mind as to when I thought it'd be sooner rather than later. I think it's later, and I I couldn't be more happy with that. I I don't want anyone but Mike Gundy coaching Oklahoma State for the foreseeable future. He has proven without a shadow of a doubt, he's one of the best college football coaches in the country. People don't agree with this. It's absolutely true. He's a future Hall of Famer. I mean, he, you look at what uh, Bill Snyder did at Kansas State. Mike Gundy is doing very similar things at a much bigger level than, than Bill Snyder. He's won more games. He's won bigger games than Bill Snyder has. And Bill Snyder's in the Hall of Fame. They're going to be. I think he is already. But uh, just tremendous reinforcement of the program Mike Gundy's built. It's back. I thought there was a wane there going into uh, last season. But, man, you just take a step back. They've won 18 to 20. They're one of the best teams in the country, and I cannot wait to see what the rest is in store. You're right, though. They've got some absolute landmines. The Big 12 is not easy week in, week out. It's hard to go undefeated. Very few teams. Oklahoma has only gone undefeated twice since 1956, if that tells you how hard it is to go undefeated. It's damn near impossible. But you got to love where they're at right now, and it was a tremendous win against Baylor. Yeah, it absolutely was, Carson. I don't think right now – you can make a really strong argument that Mike Gundy is one of the, the five best active coaches right now in college football, and you'd be crazy, absolutely psychotic to have him outside the top ten. So, uh, yeah, Oklahoma State football is in a great place with Mike Gundy at the helm. Uh, Carson, we're back later in the week to preview Texas Tech. Any closing thoughts? Nope, I think I summed it up. Again, tremendous win. OSU's got a bunch of dudes at every phase, at every position, and um, – that was a statement. I hope the rest of the country is paying attention because one of the best teams in the country plays in Stillwater, America. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That was a great win from Oklahoma State. Uh, winning in Waco puts them firmly in the driver's seat to make the Big 12 championship game uh, and potentially a college football playoff. We'll see how things transpire as that was week one of a nine consecutive week stretch in the regular season. Big 12 championship would make it 10 straight. Uh, great win yesterday for Oklahoma State. For Carson Cunningham, I'm Colby Powell. Sorry for the technical difficulties. Back later in the week to preview Texas Tech. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Go Pokes!